welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. We talk about messed up stuff. We will be talking about horror culture, horror themes, which could involve sensitive topics such as murder, rape, child abuse, foul language. We will be talking about bad things, but in a civilized way. Hopefully. Yeah. Maybe. For, for the most part. No promises. I'll try and keep it civil. <laughs> anyway, with that out of the way, uh, let's see. Coming up, we'll be speaking with authors Sarah Langan and Max Booth III and director Eduardo Sanchez. But today, we have the pleasure of the company of another author, Haley Piper, known for such works Hello. as Queen of Teeth, Your Mind is a Terrible Thing, and The Worm and His Kings. I love those titles. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Max. No, not Max. Uh, Josh Mailerman had suggested you to us. Mm-hmm. Did he tell you anything about the theme of the podcast or what we do? Josh? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just three to the wolves. Uh, basically, it, I think we may have uh, had a conversation about this. Yes, but maybe we, not. we did. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So, you know, we'll ask about childhood, teenage years, adulthood, but it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's anything that you don't want to answer to just say pass and we'll move on. That's easy. I don't remember a lot of things. <laughs> That's going to make this a quick call. <laughs> uh, well, what do you remember? What are you like? What are your first earliest, earliest memories of scary things? Um, I mean, for me at first, they weren't scary, but they were monsters. Like I was like, mm-hmm. Even from three years old, I was a Godzilla fangirl and just obsessed. Mm. Um, but the first, like, beside, well, actually, now that you're asking that, um, I was going to go for the movie that my sister and I shouldn't have watched when I was five. But I think even before that, we had accidentally stumbled upon Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, which I don't remember what episode we saw that had us hiding under a blanket. But I just remember there was like a field and a guy with an axe and the kid was running away from him. And that was, that was enough. <laughs> okay. I can understand why. Yeah. It's pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for like a four-year-old, it's kind exactly, of, that's, yeah. that's a bit intense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, later, the big thing that I remember was uh, my dad had brought home a uh, blank VHS that was supposed to be from a coworker who had recorded the movie troll off the TV. And it was like, that should be okay for kids. You know, you'd mm-hmm. think it's assume that wasn't the movie that was on the VHS. Uh, oh. It was the unnameable, uh, which is a hard R movie from the late eighties based on a Lovecraft story. Yeah. That's um, I think that was recently acquisitioned by unearthed films. That's, that's pretty hardcore. And a nasty troll. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to watch Troll. No, we're not. We're going to watch, I don't know, Visceral. <laughs> well, he, he, put, he put the tape in and he hit play and then he left the room. Mm. And then he came back a while later and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to find you guys just <laughs> jaws on the floor. I was, I was into it until that night when I had to go to bed. Ah. Oh, of course. <laughs> And then it was no sleep for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then me, me asking now you, me asking my mother questions that she couldn't answer because she did not watch the movie. Mm. So how did you even know that it was supposed to have been troll on there? Did your father tell that's you that's what was- he told us he was bringing home? No. And, and it was just like, okay. And so I was like, 
it said the unnameable and I was old enough to read that. And it was just like, you know, sometimes the Disney, this is weird comparison, but you know, how sometimes the old clamshell VHS D- Disney uh, videos had mm-hmm. like a little cartoon first. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. kind of thought maybe that was what it was. <laughs> <laughs> this is the preview. Yeah. This is, this right. is just the, uh, the Pixar so just, short at the beginning of it. Yeah, right. Sure, so yeah. I'm just, I'm yeah, this is a bit before Pixar, but like, yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm just waiting for this little, you know, the unnameable, like a little spooky thing before the movie. <laughs> and it just kept going. And then there's like, you know, nudity and like guns and people getting their heads cut off. And like, you've got like kind of a monster POV shaky cam a la Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it just, it just kept going. It was not a short. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just wish I could have seen the look on your dad's face when he walks in. Like that is not a troll. <laughs> he, he, he apparently, at least he told us he like, overheard him telling my mom that he shouted at his coworker <laughs> the next day. Is like, what, like what the fuck do you show my kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of my thoughts too. Is like, was that an accident or That's, said in purpose? We never know. I'll never know. <laughs> mm. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's hard when you had those old ones, you're recording stuff off the TV. Like, I think you yeah. record off of, like, this old school HBO. Mm-hmm, um, right. So. Or just grab the wrong tape by accident. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I used to do that. I record over, like, because I would try to record Monster Vision off TNT. And um, I'd accidentally record over one movie with another. I didn't mean to. It just, you know, happens. Maybe if we'd watched yeah. the end of the unnameable, like the credits would have cut out and then it would have just been blurring into <laughs> like, like tracking into the credits for trolls. <laughs> right. That's what I thought you were going to say when you uh, brought up the, the preview animation, like maybe the preview animation from a Disney film or troll, if there was one was on there and then it was recorded over as the unnameable for the rest of it. Like psych. I'll be honest, yeah, right? like from what I haven't seen Troll or Troll 2, but from what I know of them, like I'm not even sure those are appropriate for <laughs> like a after that experience. <laughs> but not you have really like, you really didn't know that. And like honestly, everything was scary in the eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I couldn't watch Goonies when I was a kid. Goonies was scary. It had skeletons and, and that uh that organ made out of skeletons where the floor fell. There's just a lot. I like I could cool. I mean, you, you can name a bunch of movies that were supposed to be for kids back in the 80s and it was just like this is a lot like i mean try to like if you don't know what's going to happen later in et like the part where elliot and him meet in the field in the middle of the night is terrifying yeah yeah et's come up a couple of times in some other interviews i think (laughs) with troll it sounded like I'm wondering if you were already into horror at that point and so your father was bringing that home for you because he knew you wanted to see that yeah, or was that I mean, just like a my, random my little sister and i were asking for scary stuff and it's mm-hmm. you know kind of trying to ease this in which is not how things turned out <laughs> but no i think there was already a, a interest in kind of like you know darker stuff harryhausen movies monster squad mm-hmm. goosebumps like all that all that stuff pretty, pretty early. I definitely, I know the next time I saw movies I shouldn't have. And that was when I was nine. Cause, uh, and I, I, I remember this because it was all in one weekend. You know, we rented just a bunch of them. I, they let me pick them out. That wasn't not smart, but um, <laughs> I was fine. Like I, I 
I don't know if I should have been fine, but we, it was my first time watching the seventies invasion of the body snatchers Ooh, with Donnie Sutherland. Yeah. And then like, just, I haven't seen that since. And I'll never like, at this point, the ending has been memed to death, but like, I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. I would have never forgotten the ending anyway. Yeah. Carnosaur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, well, because, you know, this was like that gap period between the first two Jurassic Park movies. And it's like, not like you get dinosaur movies every year. Right. So it was just like, I needed something. I'd already watched the, like the Valley of Guanji and, uh, you know, a bunch of old stuff that wasn't really doing it. It's like Carnosaur came out the same time as Jurassic Park. It should be just as good was my logic. Yeah. Yeah. High production <laughs> value. I mean, I appreciate Roger Corman. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other, the last one was, that was my first time watching uh, the original Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Um, this is so all at nine? Yes. This is all wow. the same weekend when I was nine. Oh, wow. And all of these are like, I was not scared scared but i was kind of in like a funk after that weekend mm-hmm. um which i don't really remember that but like i don't remember why or like what happened after but i just remember that was like the general sense because all three of those movies have extremely downer endings mm. that, and they're all pretty intense mm-hmm. yeah that could uh, that could affect the kid <laughs> at least for uh, a day or two yeah yeah to bounce back i mean uh let me ask Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I agree. It's especially not just the fact that they're, you know, a bunch of horror movies. Those do all have a, a kind of negative downer ending. So, yeah. Oops. <laughs> Luck of the draw. Yeah. Right, exactly. It was just bad luck. <laughs> I wanted to ask, I don't know if I misunderstood something you said before, but I thought you had said that you had an older sister and then you mentioned a younger one. Did I misunderstand or do you have both older and younger sisters? Uh, No, I just... I mean, I've got a complicated family. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, we have a minute. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I have various step siblings, step half siblings. Got it. It's just complicated. I can relate. My father and my, I'm the only child from my mother and father. And then they both got remarried and had kids with different. Yeah. It's anyway. yeah. It's well, the lead in where I was going with that is normally we ask if you had any other friends or family that were horror fans at the time, either, you know, parents or siblings or cousins or what have you. And it sounded like you at least had one sister. Um, was there anybody else in the family who were horror fans? Uh, not exactly. Unfortunately, I, I was very much kind of like mostly watching this stuff on my own after a certain point at a point where one sister like kind of, didn't really have much of an interest, although we would always watch Halloween on Halloween as is tradition. Uh, yeah. And I mean that this, to this day, that's still a comfort movie. Like I can just throw that on in the background and it just like, you know, I just kind of enjoy having it on mm-hmm. and I don't have many of those. Usually if I put on a movie, I want to watch the movie and I can still do that with Halloween too as well, but it's also, but it's just like, it can also just kind of be a background movie. It just has an atmosphere to it. But, um, I have an even younger sister who kind of glommed onto and like, she, you know, she would, she would be like, I was like, I was asking like, I want something scary. And like, you know, adults didn't really know what to do with that. Um, and she would ask me, I want something scary. And I was like, okay, okay. I got a couple yeah. things. Um, Cause by the time she was asking for that, I was a bit older. So I was like, I only had like four DVDs, but one of them was the thing. Nice. Um, so it's like, yeah, we can, we can watch this. So you had kind of a horror <laughs> protege, if you will. Mm-hmm. It was just me, her, 
one of our cousins and I think my younger brother, but he was not supposed to be in the room, um, which I didn't find out till the next day when I was told, don't let him watch things like that. <laughs> like, well, you're a lily. <laughs> Sorry. Did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Yeah, uh, for a bit. I don't know. I was not super creative about that stuff at the time because I was just kind of trying to figure out like, what do they have a mask for? So it's like, they have a dinosaur mask. Okay, I'll be a dinosaur. They have a gorilla mask. Okay, I'll be a gorilla. They have a Grim Reaper scythe. I will be a Grim Reaper. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't really kind of coming up with my own stuff very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that age, you don't have to. It's, I mean, sometimes it's lack of resources, lack of imagination, sometimes it's lack of both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true for a lot of people. You just, you never know. That's what, there are a lot of questions that we're going to ask that you may not have good answer for it and that's okay. We just ask cause you never know what's going to hit and what's not. Yeah. I think the, I think the worst decision I made with Halloween is when I hit 13 years old and decided I was mm. too old for it. Mm. That was not, that yeah. was a bad decision. Why? Uh, because I could have, should have kept doing it. I should have just kept going. <laughs> yeah. Well, just for the candy. And also I think I took for granted that it, Halloween was going to change. Because, you know, mm. you don't really see as much kids going around neighborhoods. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, a lot of times it's like malls or other things. And I'm just like, I think if I'd known that the Halloween I, as I knew it growing up and as I had seen in like, you know, movies and TV from, you know, dating back 30, 40 years, if right. I'd known that was all going to go away, maybe I would have kept going with it more just to kind of you know, just to get to experience it a little longer. Cause you get this right. idea, like, I mean, I was in a rush to grow up for one thing, but also like, you know, as an adult, kind like look, looking ahead, I was like, okay, well, as an adult, I will be able to look back and be kind of like, ah, there are more, there are kids doing it too. Like just as when I was younger and that's just not, it's not the no. same anymore. Um, right. And you definitely don't get like just a roving band of kids. Like there's always a chaperone. Yep. I mean, we had that, but not not the same like kind of with the kids. Like you had like we had an adult who was like, yeah, if they're really young kids. Yeah, if they're really young kids. But like when we were like nine and ten, like we had like an adult with us, but they weren't with us with us. They were like you know like ten mm-hmm. twenty feet Five back. Houses back. Right, right, or- right. It was kind of just to keep an eye on us, but it wasn't to kind of you know be there with us so that we could still have our kids Halloween. Just to make sure we weren't causing problems for the adults, not the other <laughs> yeah. way around. Right, right. But but you know what I mean? Like, and that's not really the case anymore. Either. It's like a, most it's glued to the kids mm-hmm. these days. And I get why, but it's still it's still kind of sad. Yeah, I agree. Um, for childhood at least, did you have a favorite costume, least favorite costume? No, they they all kind of <laughs> <sucked>. <laughs> I, I can relate. Mine, mine were not that great. Either. My my mom tried really hard. I remember she was she was trying to make this dinosaur tail work like hell, and it like it just would not stay together. It just kept breaking, and I'm just like, <laughs> there's nothing on her. It was just like, it just it just wasn't yeah, doable. I can relate. Sometimes you have a great yeah. idea for a costume, and then you go to apply it, and it's just this is not going to work. Right. Mm. Not with what I have in hand. Right. Did you have any uh, really scary dreams as a kid? Any reoccurring dreams? Uh, I don't know. I had this weird like ongoing thing when I was younger, but it wasn't scary. It was kind of just like. Reoccurring? Yeah. Well, not like reoccurring. It was more sequential, but I don't really remember it very well. I do. There was one really scary one 
where um I I mean my house was in the woods. Okay. And I remember I had I thought this was real, like what was happening. Like you know, sometimes you have a dream and you kind of can tell it's a little flighty, like it's a little you're not mm-hmm. quite trusting it. Like you don't know what you're dreaming necessarily, but you don't it's everything's yeah. kind of dodgy. This one felt like vivid. Like I believe this. Like I had found like some secret government facility, like from Alice <laughs> Stranger Things. And I probably got that from reading uh, Watchers by Dean Koontz. But I went back, I was like, for whatever reason, wandering the woods at night, which is not something you do in that area, um, or at least not back then, and found like some secret government facility. And for some reason, I was able to get inside. And there was this giant hairy thing like hunting everyone inside. Um, and I couldn't get out and it was just a matter of like, kind of like hiding behind walls and holding your breath. So it wouldn't hear you. Yeah, that was, that was terrifying. I wonder what inspired that version sequence. Some of, I definitely, I definitely feel now that we're talking about, it, I feel some of the, the government facility stuff was from, uh, Dean Koontz's yeah, watchers, but I don't know where the hairy thing came. I don't know why it was in the woods behind, you know, my house. I don't Do you know. remember Gossamer hmm. from Bugs Bunny? <laughs> Did yeah. it look like Gossamer? <laughs> that would have been hilarious in hindsight. <laughs> but no, it was like a it was like a it was like a bear mixed with big <gasps> bear kind pig. of thing. <laughs> uh what was the one you mentioned you had another one that was like a sequential? Yeah, but that wasn't scary. That was just mm. weird. I don't really remember it very well. I just remember that it was a thing for a while. It's pretty cool to have a sequential dream, though. I don't think I've ever experienced that. And yeah, much like my uh, misjudgment of night terrors earlier on in one of our episodes, where I'm like, I'm jealous of that. That'd be cool. I've never had that happen. I I have rescinded that opinion now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the sequential dreams. I'm also kind of jealous of that because I think it would be cool to like come back to a dream and be like, I remember this place. I've just never had that. It makes the real world feel less real. Yeah. I've got to say, because it feels like, okay, I'm just wandering into another place. Yeah, exactly. It it brings a, a continuity to the dreamscape. Right. So, and then it kind of like, and then you start getting into like second world fantasy, like Narnia and such, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which probably, I, I almost wonder if that led like part helped lead to kind of depression later because it ends up making everything really disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, we're back here. <laughs> you may get any ether. It's hard to compare when you're in like some like you know illogical dreamscape that you keep wandering into, and then it's just like, all right, time yeah. to go to school. Mm. I've also had sequential dreams like that, but they're not fantastical. It's it's hard to describe. It's almost just like real life, except there's stories involving you know people and characters that aren't really happening in real life, but it's, it's one of these weird things where like, I'll have the, I'll be dreaming. And there are times when I am capable of doing lucid dreaming, but when these kinds of dreams happen, I don't go into lucid dreaming because I think it's reality until I wake up. And then I realize, Oh yeah, that was, that was this other Hmm. story that's (laughs) kind of going on. But I don't know about you, but at least in my case, it's nothing really fantastical or special. It's just like this weird other narrative going on. I don't know. Lucid dreaming has been hard because the couple of times it's almost happened to me in the dream is like, wait a second, I'm dreaming. Uh, and instead of taking advantage of that, I just go, wake up. And then I wake up. Uh-huh. 
which I have no idea why that's my inclination to do. Flight or flight, I guess. Like your your brain says, oh, you're dreaming. It's time to wake up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, did you have anything actually terrifying happen in real life in childhood? It's kind of hard to say sometimes because, um, you know, sometimes something feels frightening, but it's not actually like threatening, mm-hmm. but you don't know that. Especially when you're a child. Right. And especially like, you know, I would tell, I've told people before, like, you know, with living in the woods, you look, you kind of look out from the back porch and like the, you see the trees at the edge of the yard and the bee, everything beyond that is just a black curtain. And like, that's scary. It's, it's, it can't help being scary, especially when you're younger mm-hmm. because it just goes on for miles and miles. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I don't know. I can think of a lot of times where I was afraid, but it's not the same thing as, as what you're asking, yeah. I guess. It's like no chance encounters with bears through the woods or anything like that, right? Oh my God. I'm so <laughs> glad that never happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, cu- they come to the house, mm-hmm. but it's not like the kind of bears where you're like, oh my God, it's going to get in. It's just it's black bears. Like, you know, they're pretty small. It's not like we got grizzlies. They just want your garbage. As far as I'm aware. And I don't want to know different. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Um, some guests have like a visible defining line where prior to this line, they were scared by horror. And then after that line, they are now enjoying it. The things that you've mentioned here, you know, everything from Godzilla, I think Godzilla, you said you were enjoying right. the other stuff. You were scared. Do you remember there being a defining moment where prior to that, the stuff was scary. And then after that, it was fun or. I mean, because it's always been a mix. I think it really depends. Yeah, I think it's always been a mix, and that's to this day. Like, I think the last—I could be wrong. Um, like the last movie that really scared the shit out of me was uh, *It Follows*. There were some tense moments in that movie. I I could feel my body, like my muscles, relax when the movie ended mm-hmm. because I'd been tense for so long. Right, like it's actually relieving when when you feel like your back and neck unclench. Right. Yes. And like, but, but the thing is, I still seek that stuff out. Oh yeah. Um, like I watch, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know if there's ever a defining line. I, I mean, I think, I think on some level, the scariness is part of the fun. Like I'll watch, I'll watch horror comedy and I'll watch like fun horror, but I also want to watch like serious horror, depressing horror, scary stuff. Um, and you never know what's going to do it for you. Like, I mean, I know people who watch the eighties remake of the blob and Mm. it's just a, whatever movie to them is like, that movie is one of the most uncomfortable sets of any fucking horror movie to me. And I love the hell out of it. That phone booth scene. I mean, yeah, mm. just what they were able to do with practical effects. Oh yeah. I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed with it, but like, I have to kind of gear myself up to watch it, but I do want to watch it. I do mm-hmm. enjoy it. I have a good time doing so, but I am so disturbed through the whole of it. Like that's one of those movies that just really bothers me way. Like, and I know for some, like, and, but it's different for everybody. Like the saw movies are what really get some people, but those kind of bore me. I like, mm-hmm. they don't scare me. I'm just, I'm just not super interested. Whereas something like the blob is going to be like, some people are just going to shrug at that. For me, that's just, that's going to set my, like, that's going to make me clench my teeth. Hmm. Any idea why? I mean, I can describe why the movie is, is horrifying. And that's the other thing. Like I've had people who like, they don't understand horror that well. 
be like, it was good, but it wasn't scary. So was it really horror? And it's like, that's not, that's <clears throat> not how that works. Yeah. All of all the stuff the blob is doing to people seems like incredibly painful. Yeah. It's like um, uh, on the same vine as, uh, as body horror. It's invasive. Oh yeah. It's, it's invasive. It's digesting you. Mm-hmm. Like it's inside you and you're inside it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's intense. It feels it, like, you know, I like the old blob, but like, you know, it feels like the kind of thing you can get away with, get away from pretty easily. And this blob is so fast. Mm-hmm. I just, I get uncomfortable watching it, but I don't know. Maybe it's, I mean, <laughs> I'm, this is really going out on the limb, but like, maybe it's like something related to, I don't know, genetic memory. It's just like, ah, you remember that there were creatures that we used to be in down the evolution line that would be digested by like large uh, algae or even further back single cell organisms well, no, no, i don't know that's really that's you really beyond something there the whole point of this show is getting to the root of what it is that you know draws people to horrific things and may- maybe it's like a evolutionary fight or flight thing from when we would attack and be attacked by other creatures eh? Eh? yeah i mean we're capable of being attacked by other creatures right now yeah true <laughs> So you, I think you had mentioned looking back at this list, Godzilla. I think you had said you were even enjoying that at three, mm-hmm. but it also sounded like you had said that there was something predating that. Well, I think I, I mean, my earliest, my very earliest memory is still involved with liking dinosaurs, and I think Godzilla was a natural extension of that. Mm-hmm. You know, incorrect paleontology and all. <laughs> right. So, so dinosaurs, then Godzilla. And then everything else, but I mean, I still, I still love Godzilla. Yeah, that's a natural one for a lot of kids, for a number of different reasons. The ability to let loose and destroy things that you know kids typically <laughs> are told to you know sit still and don't don't touch mm-hmm. anything. Also, the music. I think that's why you the know. Gremlins have an appeal to kids too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're mm. like mischief iconified. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Don't do this thing. Okay. <laughs> Moving into teenage years, what were some of the more impactful stories or books or movies that you uh, encountered in your teenage years? All right. My, my memory is a little bit more dodgy as we get into <laughs> teenage years, but I'll do my best. Um, definitely Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, I think I saw that when I was 13 or 14. Nice. Definitely earlier than expected, but they were playing it on Sci-Fi Channel like all the time. So it's kind of hard not to end up seeing it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was avoiding it. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like that was, that was, that was a, that was not just like, that was a game changer in the sense of like that kind of that second world thing we were talking about earlier, where it's just like, that was when I was like, oh, our, our reality could be paper thin and there could be other things on, on the other side of that. And they could want in and they could want to take us away to it. And like, there's just really like opened up my mind beyond the other deep themes and such that, that Clive Barker was getting into with that. That was like the immediate Thing that really just like completely shook my imagination yeah it's that uh that immersion into another realm or another world where you're you're not in kansas anymore yeah <laughs> but yet you are ah. books wise i had stopped reading for a while and then um i forget i think my grades were bad so i wasn't allowed to play video games no. for like a couple months and I kind of, like, you know, you get to a point where you have so much assigned reading in school that you don't really, they kind of ruin reading for you. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like here, you re spend all your free time reading these crappy books that nobody, nobody would actually want to read. <laughs> Maybe that's not everybody's experience, but that was like the kinds of books that they were assigning us, which I can't even remember the titles right. for at this point. During that period, my mom got Dreamcatcher, which is not the best Stephen King book, but I think it does kind of like get at his deal, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And I read that pretty quickly. And at that point, I was that was my first Stephen King book. Oh, wow. Good one, um, I'd read a bunch of Dean Koontz when I was younger, but I, that was like that was when I kind of tapered off reading. It's like Dean Koontz, R.L. Stein, Michael Crichton, like all up to like 10 years old. And I kind of stopped reading until like for a few years and then my mom got me Dreamcatcher, and then i was like i want more stephen king books mm -hmm. um and the funny thing is i'd known about stephen king's it from when i was little for some damn reason one of my elementary school teachers brought it up in class <laughs> and told us about it which was like i don't know how other kids felt about it but for me i was like but i want to know more mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't like crystallized into a sentence like that, but that was the feeling in me. And like, it would keep coming up. Like I, we would be in um, the, one of the video stores and like, I would see the, the box for the, for the rent, like the, um, the mini series, mm -hmm. like the, I yeah. think it was like a double VHS or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Something like that. And then like, I would be at like my, one of my mom's friend's houses and like, they would have it on a bookshelf or even on the coffee table. And this was like through the nineties, like, and it's, so, you know, that was a bit after the book had come out, but it was still, people were still reading it. And so I was kind of asking about, it. I remember when I was little and that's, my mom was like, no, I don't, I think that's too old for you. And so instead getting me Dean Koontz, um, because that's appropriate. That was a good decision. Yeah. Well, you're saying you're reading that stuff up until age 10. I'm going, 10's pretty young for Dean Coots and Crichton. Yeah, but I wasn't supposed to be reading it at first anyway. It was, uh, well, I mean, Crichton, I didn't understand everything, but they're really, like, if you look, I mean, at least as far as I can remember, there wasn't really anything inappropriate in Michael Crichton's stuff. It was just complicated. I mean, there's just that one part about a dinosaur slashing open a man's stomach and his intestines falling into his hands and feeling the warmth of his intestines. It's, it's good. It's good for kids. Well... <laughs> I mean, okay, American American views of appropriate. Ah, right. There wasn't anything sexual in Jurassic Park. Sure, you're that right. I can recall. In that regard, no. Um, and same with like Sphere, Congo. Uh, I forget what else. You didn't have access to the internet and the fanfic. Yeah. Go ahead. No. <laughs> we got the internet pretty late compared to other people. But um, Dean Koontz was a different story. Um, but I wasn't supposed to be reading that at first. I had... I don't know why I was in my mom's room. I, I had didn't, I would, at that point I was reading voraciously. Mm. Like I was going eating through an, like an, an adult novel a week and I'd run out of books. And so I was in her room and I saw Mr. Murder and I just started reading it. And I was about halfway through. And when she finally saw that I was reading it and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And it's mm. like, okay. And she just let me keep reading. Um, and from that point, I was picking up her other Dean Koontz books, like um, like Watchers that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And oh, I can't remember. There was another one that she had that I picked up, Lightning. And um, But she started getting them for me. And um, we we Intensity had just come out. I don't know if you know what that one's about, but it's essentially uh, this woman is staying at her friend's house. And uh, somebody 
he comes through the house and murders everyone who's supposed to live there. Mm-hmm. And she, I forget why she ends up, she, I think she's hiding in something and he ends up, she ends up, he ends up driving away, but she's there and she realizes that he has some, some little girl uh, captured and she's got a bunch of problems because her, her family or like her parents are abusive and stuff. And um, it's not a book for kids, but like she finished, my mom finished reading it. And then I, because throughout her reading it, I was bothering her. It's like, can I read that when you're done? And she was like, well, let me finish. And then she finished it. And she's like, yeah. So, (laughs) okay. I don't know if that was appropriate, but like, you know, I was, I think she was just happy I was reading, honestly. But um, I think that was kind of how it was at the time. The one that was really inappropriate, though, was The Voice of the Night. At that point, she was buying me like the mass market paperbacks of Dean Koontz, just just kind of trying to pile me up with them so I wouldn't have to be constantly asking for more books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she wasn't reading them first. She kind of just trusted that I had a good mm. understanding between reality and fiction, and I did. Mm. But I was that book is about a uh, disturbed child who is killing animals, kills his baby sister like tries to sexually assault this girl at school. Oh. I was okay when I finished it, but I was just, I, even after I, I, even like at that age, I was still like, I shouldn't have read that. And who was the author with that one? Was that another Dean Koontz? That was Dean Koontz. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So anyway, like that was a big backtrack to just kind of like all the Dean Koontz I was reading when I was like 10. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so so I'd heard about Stephen King's It through all this time. For some some reason, Stephen King's It was too much, but those were fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so as a teenager, when I finally got to read Stephen King's It, and that was another big change because <clears throat> it was so layered and imaginative, and like it had the whole like I had not. I don't think I'd read a book with the back and forth kind of parallel timelines before, mm-hmm. um, where it's like the kids and then adults, and the kids and the adults. And I ended up reading like the last 200 pages in one sitting, like I was up to like two in the morning Wow! and it was just, I was like, my mind was blown. Like I was just, I was like, that was the point where I was like, I knew I wanted to write. Like I'd written before like little stories here and there, but that was the point where I was just like, I want to make people feel like this made me feel. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's cool that you got a moment where you, experienced yeah. uh, a lot of people just like for me i just wandered through life until i was like third my 30s and finally found something that went oh this will work for me i mean it was a long time of like you know learning to write mm-hmm. and right but i know. mean even just knowing that you wanted to do it yeah was- it was no that no it was it was you know it, it was a neat experience and it was just I could I could feel everything so acutely through that book, and it was just um, and, and like that's one of those things Stephen King does, which I don't read much Stephen King anymore. But I was still like I voraciously was eating through those, like you know, um, the Stand, the Mist. Still, still not even like scratching the surface of all the many, many, many books he's re- written. But you know, that was just that was the big one. I want to go back to something that you had said earlier, so. You mentioned finding Mr. Murder in your mom's room and then, you know, the number of other things after that. And so now I'm wondering, questioning what you had said earlier about not having anybody else in the family who was a fan of horror because. That's true. 
Okay, I guess I was thinking movies, maybe. Mm. She didn't think of them as horror, though. Now that though she kind of thought they were thought of them as thrillers, mm. which that was a very like that time, like horror was a bad word in publishing. So I'm not surprised right. by that. Like, everything was being marketed as thrillers. Mm-hmm. Suspense. Yeah. Like, well, cause like there was the big like horror crash, you know, the mid nineties. And then suddenly it was like, like a race through pu- for publishers to rebrand everything as a thriller because they were like a horror horror's done. Horror is not going to sell anymore. We got to, market these differently or just even just cancel these contracts like don't publish these books and that like that lasted for a good long time like with to the point of like bookstores not even having a horror section yeah like i had to go Mm -hmm. searching for stephen king books in like the general fiction yeah the whole political atmosphere in the u.s and often kind of screws with stuff like that Mm -hmm. not not just in literature but you know music and movies and all kinds of stuff oh yeah um so teenage years uh you said that you had stopped uh participating in halloween around 13 years old did you have any scary dreams at that point in your life or any recurring dreams then i can't remember like i was i was i was like suffering from severe depression through a lot of that and that kind of like deletes a lot of your memory space yeah like honestly fiction stuff is easier to remember from that time just because those were kind of like the escapes Whereas if you ask me like, what were you doing at this time? What were you doing at this time? Like I have no memory. It's just gone. If you don't mind my asking in a general sense, um, generally speaking, was there a particular trigger for the depression? Like parents getting divorced or, you know, death in family or I mean, something? Yeah, or? those things. But like there was other stuff too. I mean, it was just, it was a lot of, it was a lot of problems. And some of that's just inherent too. Like, you know, sometimes you just have a, problem that's not being addressed mm-hmm. general teenage angst or i mean yeah really angst, i mean but- it was also just it was not a friendly time to be queer ah. um you kind of had to keep that under your hat a bit mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah just a lot of things that can add to it too. yeah uh let's see anything actually terrifying happen in real life in your teens <laughs> Um, besides high school, (laughs) (laughs) um, nothing particularly stands out. Um, I don't think, I mean, didn't have any near death experiences or, you know, anything, at least not like, you know, something immediate, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Going back to what you said about it and how it made you want to write. And the experience you had in, you know, say around the last 200 pages, obviously there was something good there. You were talking about things like the, the layers and the chronological writing. Often when we talk to creators in the business, there is, there's two parts of being a fan. One part is your emotional response to the content and then the other part of it's sort of meta commentary or or the auteur part of it where you're realizing what's going on at the auteur level and being uh, a fan of that do you think it was more the the latter with it or like a combination of the two i mean i think the like the actual structuring stuff isn't something i could appreciate until i got older like it's not like i'm sure that that is part of what i thought so highly of but i wouldn't have been able to articulate that at the time describing it better now right i was kind of just when i was younger 
I knew that what what I was reading was having an effect on me. In I was just on I was just in the journey um on that level. Like and I I couldn't be like, oh, it's so smart how he weaved the end of this section of the kids into this section of the adults and makes it feel like it's all happening at once. Like I couldn't really you know, I didn't really have an understanding enough of it to to peel that mm-hmm. apart. I was just like, for me, for me at the time, the structural stuff and the the way it was written was, me- you know, meshed together with the emotional stuff. And I kind of look at that that way these days too. I want that all to feel cohesive when I'm when I'm creating things. Like I don't I don't want you to be thinking about how the special effects are done while you're uh, experiencing them. Right. If that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. It's uh, it's more a job well done if your readers or viewers are just so wrapped up in the story that they don't think about things like that because it's just that good. Yeah. I understand what I'm I'm struggling with right now in terms of you know this call is that trying to dig to the heart of what a person really gets out of horror at least in my experience, I, I'm finding that the, the emotion is like the, you know, that saying with Watergate, follow the money for me, it's follow the emotion. <laughs> okay. And like the only thing that we've really talked about, I think so far in the call where emotion has come up is been the eighties remake of the blob where you're talking about gore and pain and so invasive. You want me to get into what emotionally resonated with me about Stephen King's it? <laughs> Please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say that emotion is going to be top priority for me when I'm experiencing something and when I'm creating something. So yeah, that is like, that's going to be the big deal. So um, there was a sense of awe when I was reading it. You know, we, we spend most of Stephen King's it in dairy, like in a solid world of dairy. And the only Mm -hmm. thing that's kind of, you know, more uh, surreal or, disconnected is Pennywise himself. But then you get down to what happens way below the town. And that's when it punches through into cosmic horror. There's this the intense like opening of space within Pennywise, like as it at least the way it's presented with the, you know, as far as the human characters can understand it even though that's technically this microverse macroverse thing that Stephen King gets into as far as like, you know, the universe is this one thing and um, they're going to be a passageway outside of it, inside of it. And these were all new concepts for me. I, I never read HP Lovecraft when I was a kid. Um, and even then I still think this was more sophisticated in a lot of how it was presented, the extent that it was going, even though understanding that Stephen King might not have been able to get to that point without that foundation. And also, like, so there was a lot of, there's wonder and awe within the horror. And also, you know, just emotionally being invested in these characters. Like, you've journeyed through them for essentially what are their lives. Like, you've seen who they were before they really knew each other. You've seen them after they've been all split up from each other. You know, in this big confrontation with something that's, they thought they understood to some extent, but really they hardly understand at all but they're still trying and then you have multiple emotional things going on in adults you have them trying to make sure this is never going to happen again but on the kids it's the same it's on that same level differently like the, the adults are, are stomping it out like literally um whereas the kids you know they feel a level of responsibility 
where they cut their their palms and make a blood oath um, to come back if Pennywise if it's not dead. And that was what like the mo my biggest disappointment with the miniseries, like of many disappointments with the miniseries. Uh, after I when I watched it uh, a little a, a year, probably a year or so after I after I read the book, was the kids kind of just come away from their confrontation, their final confrontation with Pennywise, and just like, but if it's not dead, we're gonna kill it. And it's just like it's not like it's just kind of moseying through that part and not really understanding how significant that is to make that kind of promise as a child. Mm. Whereas then you've got the 2017 movie where. They, they do it and you can feel the severity. Um, you can feel how much this matters that, and that they understand it matters. And like things like that really resonate with me because I think kids have a keener understanding of the injustice of the world. And sometimes that comes out in a way that adults, you know, dismiss, like, you know, it's not fair or whatever. But I think on other levels, they really do understand that there's just this kind of, there's a wrongness to things. And a lot of people telling them, it's like, well, that's just the way it is. And you can see that personified in Derry, in the town, just in how much people look the other way when anything bad is happening that's being influenced by Pennywise. It's just kind of, and even the town itself makes the rest of the country and the world shrug it off too. Like, like they even say in the book, if there nine kids have been murdered in the 1980s section of it, that should be making national news, but there's nothing. I think that kind of speaks a lot to how everything feels like when you're a kid, when you realize something's wrong and just everybody just goes along with it. And is that there's, that there's this kind of madness to adulthood where we just com are complicit in it. And that's why I get, I get emotionally caught up in this stuff because it's like, you know, you kids are right to be angry. You're right to be severe and take this seriously where nobody where everybody is telling you you're wrong justified all good stuff <laughs> uh i guess the one big emotion well the two things that i'm hearing in there are the sublime and grief the sublime for you know opening up in, into the the rest of the universe that that you mentioned go you know going through the sewers and pennywise leads to um and then the grief about a number of different things yeah. you know, relating to adulthood and, and how the world handles things. I think what you touched on in, in terms of kids being more aware of the unfairness of the world, that's where I was going with the grief. I think that's, um, what was it? There was something, something I read or saw within the last week or two where, uh, somebody, somebody's kid was acting out or somebody's adult, there was some adult acting out maybe that, you know, we were talking about it and saying that, you know, somebody didn't tell this person no when they were a kid. Uh, and so they didn't get the feeling that this person hadn't learned how to process their own grief over not being able to have everything in the world that they want, you know, and that's a reality that, some kids face very early on in life and some don't. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how I'm looking at it. Um, no, I, I didn't mean it that way. I was kind of going off on a tangent. Sorry. I also noticed there was something that you said that reminded me of 
what you said about the the house you grow up in in the woods and there being sort of like a boundary. At least it felt that way. Right. What was the something reality paper thin? Oh, Hellraiser. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. There was sort of like a common thread there and possibly also the same with it. Yeah. I guess I like that kind of stuff as scary. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's scary, but I, I gravitate towards it. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. a, that the idea itself is horrifying, but at the same time can't stay away. Right. There's, there's an allure to it. Um, despite the awfulness of it. The, the sublime is something that I appreciate in horror as well. Um, uh, probably the thing that I like the best is, is when it touches on that kind of stuff. And, Chris is probably sick of hearing me mention him, but one of my favorite authors is Joseph Campbell, who talked about not only the sublime, but in general grief and things like that and, and understanding that these things are a part of the world. And that if you, tr if you don't want to accept those things, you just want the things that you like in life, but don't want to accept those things that it's in a, in a way it's almost denying life getting to a point in your life where you can accept that, okay, there's these good things and there are those also those bad things and it's part and parcel and, and you can accept all of it in a way that's, it's affirming life, which is a good thing. Did I lose you? <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, I mean, not <laughs> like, not like tech, not technologically, maybe otherwise. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure I'm following. Um, I think that there's, I, I do understand what you mean about affirmation of life. I think that when you're younger, you have, I mean, this, not that I think, I, I know when you're younger, you have more energy, um, at least for me. But I think that, you know, a lot of our energy gets spent up on so many little things that we kind of forget our, our power to improve the world. Not necessarily in a way that there can only be good things or that we can have everything, but just in the sense that it doesn't have to be, things don't have to be as bad as they are at times that we can, you know, make a difference. And I think kids to some degree still believe in that, which is why something like, you know, what happens with the kids in, in it is so powerful because they do, they cut the cycle short with, with Pennywise, they, they do make a difference. They believe in that and they are able to accomplish that, which is something that's not typically the case with a lot of people. And as we grow up, you know, some of the, some of the beauty of growing up is that you have the potential to do so many more things, but on the other side, you have less energy to do them. And mm. there is some level where you become complicit in these things because it's considered that the world is this machine that has to keep turning. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but it is, it is the way it is. It doesn't have to be, but it, if everybody agrees to it, it becomes a choice. Yeah. Okay. Nothing in real life that scared you in teenage years. Uh, at least nothing that affected you long-term adult years. You mentioned it follows was the last movie that scared you. Um, what other stuff in your adult life has been influential? I mean, a bunch of things have been influential in their own way, but like, I mean, another one that scared the shit out of me was the descent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just a claustrophobia of it, you know, uh, bef like before and during monsters part, but definitely. Yeah. The, uh, the part where she gets stuck. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. 
nuts. Yeah. Scenes like, like that are exactly why I will never go caving. Oh, oh, right. you mean I get to squeeze through this uh, this space here that's just big enough for my entire body, and we're uh, how many miles below the surface? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely not an experience I'm ever going to subject subject myself to. Mm. I don't suppose you're claustrophobic. Um, not generally, but perhaps squeezed between rocks under the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In that situation, you don't have to be claustrophobic. I'll make an exception in that it case, makes yeah. you claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you if, even if you get out of it now, you like you didn't have a complex before. Now you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. After you'd pointed out the, um, uh, I forget the wording, but uh, I, maybe I shouldn't have said influential, but more like uh, in terms of. Uh, impactful mm-hmm. on being a fan yeah. yeah it's hard sometimes you don't have like a list of every movie but like those two definitely stand out I'm trying to think of stuff that like unnerved me like those those are definitely like the big ones anything else about the descent that stood out to you other than the part where she got stuck oh no the whole movie i think the whole movie is pretty good um mm-hmm. Up to the like, you know, which ending did you see? Yeah. <laughs> it kind of ends up being a, an issue. UK ending, best ending. Yeah, I've I've seen it. I've seen it each way, and I'm just like, I don't know if there is a, I don't know if there's a right ending to this. But you know, honestly, it's such a good movie that I don't think that even if it doesn't perfectly stick the landing, that it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I I enjoy the the stuff with the cavers. I'm um, the the part where the first one. Not the honestly, yeah, actually, the first one shows up when she kind of um, sort of sees it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, that's disturbing. Yeah. I honestly, in in adult life, I'm finding that, um, like, I feel like there was a point in my early 20s where I was like demanding perfection out of movies mm-hmm. for some damn reason, and like they must be executed like this, and it's like I don't know if that's the internet's fault or whatever. <laughs> but like, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm kind of just like. You know, I don't really care if it's good. I just want to have an interesting experience. Yeah. And um, like, it's one of those things. I, I think that's another thing. There's a lot of demand for realism these days. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I want stuff that like this, that feels like a dream almost. I want stuff that it doesn't have the same logic as our world. So you're not really sure where it's going to go sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I feel in a less pretty sense, I get like, I had, I had not seen any Cronenberg movies up until recently except for uh the fly and a history of violence mm-hmm. and so i kind of been trying to catch up with cronenberg and his movies are not like pretty like that but they have that same thing of like they don't feel like they're operating under the same rules as our world the brood the um uh, uh rabid uh videodrome like there's this whatever agreement there has been dividing like the fantastic and reality that that agreement has been canceled. Yeah, Cronenberg kind of uh, plays by his own rules. Yeah, and and just there's just there's just that blending that that is attractive in the sense of I'm not sure what maybe it's the sublime maybe maybe it's that again it's just not as apparent as something where it's like oh the you know the yawning open outer space mm-hmm. it's not maybe as as in your face as that but it still might just be that sense of like uh, separation. That's still kind of this uh, gives a sense of wonder. Makes sense. It's funny that you say that because I was coming to a similar thought myself. Uh, the word I was going to use was precipice. Yeah. I was thinking about when you said 
in the Cronenbergs, you know, the, the agreement has been canceled in terms of, uh, you know, not on, operating under some of the same rules. And, and I was thinking, okay, well, where does that take you emotionally? And you know, possibly the response there would be the, the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And for me, that, that fear of the unknown is it, again, not, don't want to speak for you, but for me, it's that same feeling of being at the precipice of where is this going? What's going to happen? Like feeling I'm about to fall, not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. And in the word you used was separation because, you know, what is on the other side of that, that moment? I think, I think I'm not always afraid of it though. The, no. the unknown doesn't bother me as much because I feel like, I feel like I've lived a lot of my life with that. I feel like a lot of us do, mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not. And I, I think while there is a fear of the unknown, it's also like sometimes the unknown isn't a bad thing. Sometimes yeah. the unknown is a Christmas present. Yeah, it can be the comfort <laughs> of the unknown too. Like just not. Right. Not Because it's a separation from like, if you know horror, especially like, in, in, here's a good example. Like a lot of people who aren't typically into horror have been turning to horror since the pandemic started. Mm. Yeah. It's like, because they know they know this horror. They know mm-hmm. what COVID can do to you. But um, this other stuff is the unknown. And there may there can be a comfort in that. Although I will say the brood was pretty disturbing. In, or not the brood. Oh, it, the brood was disturbing. I loved it. But like Rabid, I was watching that during the pandemic yeah. for the first time. Not the best time. And I'm just like, I was just like, this is from the 70s? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like it felt so on the nose with like down to such little things like um, the vaccine cards and then people making a big fuss out of that. And yeah, it was just, that was, that was, uh, that was a little bit of a trip at the time. It was just that, that where, that was where it was becoming too much more real. It's like, no, give me more, give me more unknown, give yeah. me more fantasy. <laughs> more escape piece. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I like the phrase that you guys were talking about the comfort of the unknown, because that makes, makes me think for a minute, you know, if, if you're known, if the known that you've already experienced has been a horrible thing, mm-hmm. then yeah, there can be a comfort in the unknown because in, in some sense you might be thinking, okay, this might actually get better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or at and, least um, different. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which could be better. And right? that's, and that's, also goes into like a you know common thing being fear of the other and like that can be uh subverted with just being the other but sometimes it can be like well the f- if the familiar sucks then maybe yes. the other isn't you know a bad thing mm-hmm. um like that's right. definitely uh, not that it works out for him but that's definitely where like frank is going in hellraiser yeah um yeah when he p- starts playing with the box yeah i suppose um, you could say that because his, his current life is is that terrible that uh, whatever is in this box at least has the chance of being better? I mean, there's a, I mean, it's it, the, the promise on it is hollow. Yeah. Um, but none, he doesn't know that. Yeah. And Frank, I mean, Frank is not have the self-awareness to realize that he's the one making his life terrible. Yeah. Um, but just as an example, hmm. that last sentence kind of brought me, brought me around. Cause I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I didn't think that it, his life was that terrible. I thought he was like seeking something out, but as you say, it, it if he's not aware that he was the one that was making it bad, that kind of ties it. I back mean, there's, in. there's clearly a desperation to him when they're, um, <clears throat> when Christy and her dad and, and uh, Julia are going through the, 
the house and there's all these like I, I can't even count how many like Jesus statues there are. <laughs> like there's clearly something else was going on before he even got the box mm-hmm. where he was desperate for something. Yep. I maybe it was just my youth, but I read that as uh lust and drug addiction. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. I mean, like the first thing that Christie's dad says when they get in is like like Julie asks, Where's Frank? And uh he's like, I don't know, probably in jail somewhere. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Have you started participating in Halloween as an adult? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. I mean, I mean, we kind of just get excited about it each year. Like October is Halloween. Um, I'm, I'm much more obnoxious about it. Mm. Nice. Nice. (laughs) What do you mean? Plastering it all over social media. It's like, it's our time. It's hard. People's (laughs) holiday month. Like just being like generally excited it's that time you know, of we, year. It's, a, it's acceptable to binge watch 15 horror movies in a row. Yay! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm just yeah. doing what I do all year round, but now all of you have to hear about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I mean, also just, you know, again, I had depression for a very long time. There wasn't really the ability to get excited. So mm-hmm. as much with things, now I'm just like, it's freaking Halloween. Go whole hog. We decorate and stuff, but like, you know, it's one of those things with the trick-or-treating, like, you know, kids don't come by. Yeah. But, you know, we do, you do what you can. Hmm. Right. I think I forgot to ask in your teenage years, did you have anybody in your teenage years that um, were fans of horror? Like, did you have any kind of social group or were you just kind of like doing your own thing I with it? I think I was just doing my own thing. If there was, I do not remember. Hmm. And adult years? I mean, the horror community online has been fantastic. My wife has kind of like, she she's into it but not like with everything mm-hmm. sometimes i've sometimes i scan i kind of like watch something first to see if it's something she would even like but sometimes you're going blind and it i'll be like oh this is something i probably would have not suggested for you but she loved it hmm. so um but yeah so you know it's kind of like that's kind of our thing i try to i try to corrupt my like you know nieces <laughs> and, and nephews and Chris can relate. As you do. Yeah, my yep. cousins, yep. like my cousin, I tried so hard with my cousins, but like they were just too scared. Like not every, not everybody's <laughs> got the, not everybody's got the, whatever it is that drives us towards that stuff. Not everybody is, not not everybody's there. I tried to, I tried to get them to want to watch Killer Clowns. They didn't, didn't want to watch Killer it's Clowns. It's whimsical. It's, it's a kid's kind of movie, you know? <laughs> It's got cotton candy in it. (laughs) Okay. We, we were watching spirited away Mm -hmm. and that was too much at certain points. So I was was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, it's understandable. Yeah, it is. Um, especially since so much of that movie is so sedate and then suddenly there's just a big glob You're monster right. that's mostly mouth chasing, chasing, chasing. <laughs> yeah, that kind of comes out <laughs> of left field a little bit. A little bit. Right, right. Yeah. Although funny enough, like they didn't didn't care for that. Loved Princess Mononoke, which has a lot more violence to yeah. it. Mm. But you can never tell with anybody. Like I used to when I was a kid. Like when I was very little, I remember. Um, I didn't I didn't mention this because I didn't watch the movies at the time. But like I couldn't even stand the commercials for Child's Play movies. Oh really? Like I was not about Chucky back then. Wonder why? I well probably because I had a doll. That was kind of the same size. Okay. Yeah. And that was enough. Also, maybe the whole Uncanny Valley <laughs> thing, you know, 
Right, right. So I shoved that doll under the bed, which is the smart place to put something you're afraid of. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Chucky dolls, uh, right. clowns with telescoping long arms for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, right. you put it under the bed. Yes. Oh, I love poltergeist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, that was, I saw that when I was eight, I think. And like, I just fell in love with it completely. Mm-hmm. Like that was to me, that was one of those ones again, that kind of like bridges this into this sense of wonder yeah. while also being really fucking scary. Mm-hmm. What it was that you were wondering about? Oh my God. Uh, I'm blanking on the character's name. This is terrible. Um, Carol Ann? The, no, the, the medium. Oh, um, oh, damn it. Now I'm laying on it, but yeah, yeah her. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Like she had such a presence and I'm still, I still feel this way as an adult. When I watch that movie, it's just like, she just makes such an impact. The moment, like you, you feel the tone of the movie shift the moment that she comes on screen for the first mm-hmm. time. And she speaks of it's like, very serious. right. And like, there's this sense of ghosts throughout, but then when she talks about what's going on, you feel that there's this other world. Like there really is this other, this other layer of things on top of it all. And I couldn't articulate or really understand that as a child completely, but I did know that there was more than, I did know there was more than I was grasping. That's one of those things with that allure of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Was it Tangina? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That sounds, that sounds right to me. So let's just go with it. Okay. Sure. (laughs) I don't remember that. Ah, Memory like a steel trap when it comes to horror movie stuff sometimes. Well, my phone is on airplane mode, so I can't check. (laughs) (laughs) It was Tangina. I looked it up. Okay. (laughs) That, uh, okay. That's interesting. Kind of goes and touches, ties back with what we were talking about earlier about the, um, ah, crap. I, there were there were a number of things, but the one that's coming to mind first is the house in the woods and in the the line of the trees. Yeah, I don't think I ever looked at it that way. Maybe if I go back there someday, I will, and then you'll never hear from me again. Or something, <laughs> yeah, right. We did have ghost stories up up in that area, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one that I remember most clearly was there was another town that was way deeper in the woods. Um, that kind of like this is old. It was old, and then like was slowly abandoned, and like the houses all collapsed except for one. So you kind of have this like section of woods where you come, you're coming through the trees, and then there's this house. I just just preface this. I was I never went there. Um, right. <laughs> like, this is all secondhand. But supposedly people would go out there, and uh, they would like kind of not necessarily dare, but it was kind of like just one of those things like, you know, spend the night there and like supposedly you could mm-hmm. hear babies crying in the woods mm-hmm. that the place was haunted by the town that used to be there. Yeah. Was the word Croatoan written anywhere? No, this is in New York. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, that, that, that creeped me out. And like um, my, uh, yeah, we had a family member who was like, Oh, we should, we should go there. And it was just like, no, <laughs> right like eh, i'm good no yeah i'm good <laughs> pass so the last questions maybe like 10 or 10 or so questions here at the end these cover your entire life not just uh <laughs> any particular section and it's not just about horror so this could be opened up to other genres too but um the first two questions i'll ask at the same time because it could be the same answer for both or it could be different but if we were to ask what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other what would those be 
Um, I think the movie I've watched the most is Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I saw it so young and I've had the opportunity to watch it so many times. Yeah. I could be wrong, but that's the one off the top of my head that sounds right. My favorite movie is Mad Max Fury Road, though. Ah, it's good. I'm guessing with Jurassic Park, again, the dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's, and that's, again, that sense of wonder. Like, I just, they're they're so big and so interesting and, you know, they're, they're mysterious for us because we will never in- experience them ourselves. You know, fun fact, in my interview, one of my early fears was Jurassic Park. Because I just that is interesting. <laughs> it's to me, it was possible because it's not like, you know, monsters or aliens from outer space. It's people mm. fucking around with science when they shouldn't be. And I thought, like, that's totally something people would do. So I would just sit there yes. like paralyzed, falling asleep at night, looking at this little cup of water that I had on my desk. Like, is it going to rip it? <laughs> yeah. is it gonna rip it? That's, so, that's so funny. <laughs> and, and just like for, for me, though, I was like. How can we make this happen? <laughs> You're like, no, we, this needs to happen. <laughs> right. And so, and I think that's just the different like mindsets to, to these things where it's like, and it's the same reason that not the same things aren't scary to everyone just because we approach right. things differently. Mm-hmm. What about uh, Mad Max Fury Road? Why is that your favorite? It's just really engaging for my, my wife and I, that's both like our, both our favorite movie. We get so completely sucked into it. Um, and it, we, it's definitely one of those things where we probably read more into it than we should, like like as far as character motivations and like emotional turns and things like that. But like, it's a deceptively deep movie, I think. Yeah. Um, like it, it feels very simple on the surface, but there's actually a lot going on. It's just not spoken. Could be. Since you're, how old are you? That's what I wanted to ask you. I forgot to ask about the, um, when we were talking about the social aspect, I was thinking also because, you know, now that you're published off there and you probably got, you know, friends in that realm, uh, where along this, did you actually start writing and, and getting published? I mean, I've been, I've been writing since I was like eight when I first tried to rip off Jurassic Park, <laughs> um, with, with Cretaceous Park. Mm, okay. <laughs> Um, which I thought I thought because it was eight pages on my computer, that was pretty much the same length as the Crichton book. Yeah, more or less. Right. <laughs> At least it felt that way, writing those eight take. pages. Yeah. So I've been writing since then, but I hadn't really had anything published until 2018. Um, that's when like I kind of was coming out of depression. I was like, I, I feel like writing again. So then I, I did, and I started submitting short stories to places. Well, I mean, still four years or so of the social aspect is helpful better than none we we like to ask that because you know there are some people who they have a friend and you know from early childhood that is right there along with them or maybe family member and then other people it's they were on their own or they'll they'll have a friend in childhood and they kind of goes away in in teenage years and then comes back in adulthood it's there's a a lot of different potentially interesting journeys that are available out Mm -hmm. there do you, do you see any common threads about what kind of horror that you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's definitely, not, now that we've talked about it and like, you know, dissected my uh, my interests uh, <laughs> on here, I think there's definitely, like, I do seem to gravitate towards this otherworldliness, this sense of wonder, this sense of separation, um, which is funny because a lot of the stuff I read is very down to earth, mm. but I kind of read it also always kind of like wondering if it's going to, you make a make a sudden turn into something else later on in the story. 
you're looking for it. Yeah. I mean, it, if it doesn't happen, I'm not necessarily disappointed unless it hints that it's going to happen then doesn't, but like, I'm always kind of like, I'm always kind of ready for it. I'm always ready for it to just suddenly kind of take me somewhere. I'm not expecting any idea why it is that you like that. I don't know. We've, <laughs> we've dissected it so much. I'm not sure there's a, <laughs> there's a straight answer to anything. I mean, you know, I'm again, I'm the kid who was just like, how do we make Jurassic park happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've just watched a movie and read a 400 page book where it's clearly a bad idea, but at the same time, it just, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just feels like we should be able to do this. Yeah. So right. honestly, uh, I'm probably Pandora in the sense that I would fucking open the box. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. It's, that's one of those questions that it's hard to answer because I, I think, think it's just the kind of person I am. Like I want to, I want to see what's next. I want to see what's over that precipice, over that hilltop. I want to know those things, or if I can't know, at least experience them. Right. And that's a very human thing. And it, I, I don't know that you can dig any deeper than that. I think that is a a common human element of, like you say, we, we do want to find out what's on the other side. I would, I would sympathize with the mad scientists in the movies. Um, when I what like I mentioned John Carpenter's the thing, but like I before that I loved the thing from another world, mm-hmm. and I sympathized with the scientist in that who was like you know we have like it's it's a creature it's the only creature we know from another world we haven't even tried to communicate with it and I know he he gets killed or I think he he or knocked out I'm not sure it's been a little while but like I sympathize with him it's like yeah we we like you know we it's contact from another world exactly. I know he's <laughs> right I know he's killed a bunch of people. People. And like, it wasn't until later I realized that the the alien had like strung people up upside down to have them drip blood into plants of itself so that it would grow more of them because mm-hmm. they don't show it on screen that you just hear about it. Oh man, if they'd put that in a fifties B movie, if they put in a fifties <laughs> right. black and white harmony, that would have been incredible. But um, but no, like I didn't realize that until later. But as, as a child, I was like, what if there's never another chance? You know, what if there's right. never another chance to 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 try to relate to to this you know this other creature, this person? It's clearly a person. He flew here, right? It's clearly like, sentient, right? It's not like it's not like the xenomorph where it's like uh, it's smart, but is it probably just an animal, right? You're not really certain. So it's just like I I sympathize with that because it's like we need to try to talk. Hope. <laughs> are are there no other genres that? that can scratch this itch, shall we say, of, you know, particularly sci-fi, I think is the first one that comes to mind in terms of exploration of what's out there. Um, you could also go with fantasy, uh, like you mentioned Narnia, I think, earlier on the call. I think horror is the most honest genre. Um, I think you, on a character level, you see people as to who they are when they're afraid. Okay. And on a audience and creator level i think that you can touch on things that are more uncomfortable subjects in other genres Mm -hmm. horror also because it's such an atmosphere thing can be mixed with any other genre yeah i i've mixed in sci-fi fantasy uh mystery romance crime like i've mixed in every genre i can think of into horror and want to continue to do so because it just it blends so well with them Mm -hmm. and i think that through horror, you can do the exploration. Through horror, through those other things, you can still do exploration. But horror is something that can just touch everything. Yeah, and I mean, reality isn't always going to be positive. So if you want to be, like you say, horror is the most honest. If you want to be honest about 
the reality of what could happen. Or even the, or even the unreality of it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's the most unforgiving basically. Yeah. I mean, it's just with, with, with certain things you kind of get an, a sense of like how it's going to go or maybe not necessarily, but like horror is really just, there are no rules. Yeah. There's more potential in that, that respect too. Mm-hmm. I guess really the last question then, is there anything else that you can think of that's relevant that we haven't talked about? Is there anything that maybe while we were talking, you thought about something, but then it didn't come up in conversation? I mean, I kind of just jumped to each tangent that I thought of, even if it was (laughs) out of the sequence of events. I was like, oh, let's talk about Dean Koontz for a little bit. Oh, let's talk about Godzilla for a little bit, just jumping to each thing. So no, I pretty much, whenever whenever something you said sprang up a new thought, I just Hmm. jumped for it. (laughs) Okay. Tangents are not uncommon in the show. (laughs) No, I I figured that was encouraged. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I completely forgot uh, at the beginning to give you a spot to pitch. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to be working on. Normally we do it at the front and the back, but I forgot the front one. So, sorry. I've got uh, my next, my second novel is coming out uh, on September 20th. uh, No Gods for Drowning, which is a Mm. horror, Mm. uh, noir, mystery, dark fantasy book from from polis books okay sounds interesting interesting. yeah it's it's uh it's something that's kind of been the back of my head since i was younger and it's just finally now getting to come out but uh and then i've got short stories and stuff other terrors uh the hideous book of hidden horrors i have a novelette in that and uh next year my horror western comes out from death's head press and that's cruel angels past sundown Mm. i like horror westerns (laughs) yeah they're neat um, and that's also one of those things where it's like, it feels very down to earth, but then it could turn in any direction. Mm. Um, and then uh, I'm at www.haleypiper.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Haley Piper says. Cool. And we're going to put together a bio page for you so we can link to them there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, thank you to everybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormixeshappy.com. You can check out Haley's bio page there and any other the sub pages that we have merch uh patreon what else about us social media all kinds of good stuff um if you like what we're doing tell a friend 